Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host. For the next half hour, hopefully we talk calmly about something that is in God's Word, that can change our lives, that can help us ponder the things that are important in life rather than the unimportant. Satan would love to get into our minds and get us to think in error because the battle that you and I wage is not a physical battle. It's a battle that starts in the mind. The safest position that any of us can have is to know God and to be dedicated to making Him known. Those are two critical factors to success in life. And if you're not spending time in God's Word, you don't know Him. And if you don't know Him, you'll never find significance, you'll never find security. And you'll be one who's confused all your life and you'll act confused. Oh, you'll have reasons for why you do things, but your reasons will be more trying to justify your actions rather than doing something that's right, just like they did in Sodom and Gomorrah and other places that's mentioned in the book of Jude. Let me read again the book of Jude and get to where we were talking about last time when we stopped. Jude chapter 1. Jude is servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until judgment of great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, 
as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting a foam from their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such ungodly ways and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're a loudmouth boaster showing favoritism to gain advantage. That's through verse 16 so far. I keep thinking about how Satan actually tries to attack us, especially in the United States of America. He attacks in ways that are most beneficial for his purposes. And in our nation, we have a freedom of speech, so he uses people's speech to try and sway other people to believe like they believe. I'm going to make it clear. Sin in life, sin is never unpunished if it's not pardoned. If you're not one who has your trust in Jesus Christ, if you're not a child of God, if you're not pursuing who God is, and you want to live in sin, it's never going to be unpunished unless it's pardoned. My sin, past, present, and future, has been pardoned. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and his mercy has covered me. All my sins, as far as Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, my sins have been forgiven and forgotten. I am in God's family because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. Knowing that and living in that context means that I come to God in a grateful way, wanting to know what his will is for me, knowing that in the beginning God, not Dave, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I get to see what my Heavenly Father did and live in the context of the way he made me. Oh, my sin is evil. The thing is, when I now sin, I sin as a child of God. And I can come back to God at any moment. And 1 John 1, nine tells me that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I find that verse interesting. It doesn't even say if I feel sorry enough. It doesn't say if I confess in the right way. It says if I confess my sins. See, I'm not always sure how sorrowful I am. But I do need to acknowledge what's right and wrong, and I need to come to God and acknowledge that. And as I do that, he promises to forgive me. Because I'm a human, I will always have a battle in my heart till the day I go home. But sin is always something that's going to cause destruction. Sin is going to keep me from God, and sin is going to keep me from people. 
If I sin here on earth, the people that I sin against are going to be hurt and separated from me. And as I sin, I keep separated from God. But sin is never unpunished. When I sin, most of the time I don't even think God needs to do anything to me because of the fact that my sin is punishing me just because I chose to do it. Do you ever wonder why God wants us to stay away from sin? Because it doesn't work. It doesn't fulfill anything in life. It just causes trouble. It's kind of like the old illustration I always use. If I want to beat my head on a rock, I'm going to get a headache. That's the way God made it. If I want to live life the way it's meant to be, I should hate sin. Because sin keeps me from living life the way it's meant to be. I'm meant to be in relationship with one woman, and I'm married to one woman, and I'm committed to one woman, and I'm meant to be in that relationship for all my life. I'm meant to care and keep a commitment to her until the day that one of us dies. That's an important promise. That's the way God made it. It's not about homosexual relationships. That's not acceptable to God. And in Jude, it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which indulged in sexual immorality. And what did they pursue? They pursued unnatural desires. Really doesn't matter what the people of the United States or anything anybody says to justify their sinful desires. They're wrong. God made it so that a man and a woman alone should be committed to each other for life. And in that context, the sexual relationship will produce children, most likely. And those children are to be in the security of a, a stable home and a commitment to the family. Yet there are people that keep trying to justify their sin. They keep trying to talk about how their sinful life is somehow right and that somehow they get fulfilled by living outside of what's normal in God's eyes. They're wrong. Sin is always going to be punished. and it's, If it's not pardoned, it's going to be punished. And those who try and justify their sin all their life are going to be sad that they did it. Talks about many here that have snuck into places that tried to influence others to do wrong. It says, Woe to them in verse 11, for they walk in the way of Cain. Cain got pretty ticked at Abel. You have Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and right away there's murder in the world. Somebody get angry enough to murder another person? rather than admit they did wrong and change their way. How weird it is that we think that if we eliminate somebody, what they believed in will go away. That doesn't happen. Somebody could come after me and murder me today, and what I believed in is going to keep going on. They're not going to eliminate anything. Oh, they may feel better for a moment because now someone's not going after them, telling them they're wrong, or even showing them up by doing what's right in Abel's case. But the way of Cain, being jealous, being envious, wanting to do it my way, that's the way of Cain. See, they're hidden reefs because 
For us, we get the idea of love messed up. We think that accommodation is love, that if somebody says something, we need to agree with them and support them and encourage them in that. That's not true. If somebody came to you and they were about to eat arsenic or something that would totally destroy them, you would need to tell them they shouldn't do it. If you wanted to encourage them to eat the arsenic, well then, you don't love them. Love needs to embrace truth. We don't just pat people on the head no matter what they're doing and try and show them how we care for them if they're destroying themselves. How can you love somebody and watch them destroy themselves? You can't do that. But there are those who make the idea of being friends with everybody and encouraging everybody and having everybody right part of their agenda. They're hidden reefs. They're, they're going to destroy. There, there are shepherds out there that don't really care for the sheep. The only reason they're a shepherd is for themselves. Shepherds are supposed to care for the sheep. But in verse 12, we're warned that they're shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds is an interesting understanding. The idea that you have hope that there's going to be rain, hope that it'll get better in the future, hope that your crops get what they need, and the clouds go overhead, but they don't give you any water. When there are those that say they know God, those who say they live right, but they don't know God and they're not living right. It's like, uh, I think, today what's happening in the politics in the United States of America. There's very little that people trust when a politician starts talking. We don't know what they're really saying. We don't know what they really believe in. They can tell us that now is the time to do something different, but we don't know what they're talking about because we've heard that over and over again. There are people that like to portray that they have the answer. They're shepherds that are feeding themselves. There are people that are in charge of churches that want those churches full so that money comes in, so that they're taken care of. They abuse the people that are there financially. They might abuse them sexually. They're shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted. Some of these are so clever at what they do, they're so good at deception that we'll never know it on earth. But God will expose it. And you can tell by the fruit of the people. Having people just go to church and never change is not what it's about. Change is critical to everything in life when it comes to growth. If you're a young child and you're growing, you're changing. If you were to buy some clothes today, two months from now, those clothes may not fit you because growth demands change. There are people who have gone to churches for 20 years and not changed. Why? What's going on there? Some might say it's the people's problem. Could be. It could be shepherds, too, that are taking care of themselves and don't have the courage to confront those people that aren't changing. Why? Because they may leave. They may not come back. They, 
And after all, the community is all that matters. Now, if you say, I don't care about community, you don't understand me. But the community, the amount of people there is not all that matters. Shepherds are to guide their sheep, not make them feel good about sitting in the pews. There are times where you have to go after those who sit in the pews because nothing is going on for their own good. See, there are hidden reefs. There are shepherds feeding themselves. There are waterless clouds. There are those swept along by wind, fruitless trees. You know, wind just pushes you wherever. You're not really going anywhere. Shepherds who are watching over sheep are taking them somewhere, not nowhere. Once again, you have somebody that sits in church for year after year after year and nothing is different. All they are is proclaiming how wonderful the community is. They don't serve. They got the same problems they had 20 years ago. They're not really going anywhere. They're just swept along by the winds. Whatever's going on in the world, whatever's going on in the church, that's where they are. Fruitless trees late in autumn. You look at their lives and there's no fruit. There is no fruit. So what is the problem? 13th verse, wild waves of the sea casting up foam, their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones. There are many that know God and listen to God. Remember, we're not part of God's family because we're obedient enough. We're part of God's family because of what Jesus did for us. And as we understand that, like right in the beginning of the book of Jude, we understand God's mercy. We've responded to it. Therefore, we have God's peace. We understand his love. The Lord one day will execute his judgment, according to verse 15, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodlessness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There are people that speak as if they know more than God. That's blasphemous. Nobody knows more than God. Whenever you hear someone say, well, I think this, and it goes against what God says, well, all they're saying is that I declare that I must know more than the one who made me. You don't go to the scriptures to try and prove that God is who you think he is. You go to the scriptures to discover who God is. When I discover who he is, I align my life with the reality of who he is. I don't align God with my life. It's so easy for me to get so myopic, to only see me in my life, to begin to listen to my desires. When I start living a Dave Wager life, a self-centered life, you know what happens to me? The 16th verse, I become a grumbler. 
I become a malcontent. I become one who follows my own sinful desires, trying to figure out life since it didn't work when I followed God or something. I become loudmouth boasters. I show favoritism to people so that I can gain something personally. In other words, I use people rather than loving people. That's not the quality of those who know God. King James Version said they are murmurers. Murmurers are just grumblers. Are you a grumbler? You see the world and just grumble about it because it's not really the way you want it? Believe me, the world isn't the way it should be. But most of us grumble because it's not really about us and we want it to be about us. Circumstances aren't about us. Life isn't as comfortable about us. People don't respect us the way that we think they should. And before you know it, since the world doesn't revolve around us, we grumble. We become malcontents or complainers. We like to blame other people for things, quarrel, complain. When you're around a complainer, it's like the rest of the world isn't doing what they should do. And if the world would do what they should do, then this person would be okay. That's not what God's Word teaches us. We listen to God and we know the world is a sinful place and we do what's right regardless of what the world does. We're not malcontents. We're not complainers. It says that these people walk after their own sinful desires. They have urges and they have desires and they fulfill them because they want to. They don't know what else to do with their desires. How else do you take care of a desire? You say no to it or Satan uses it against you. Our sinful desires do not cause us to be fulfilled. Every time you indulge in a sinful desire, you'll just need more of it and you'll never be okay. You'll be looking for it the rest of your life. They are loud-mouthed boasters. They love to talk about how important they are. Somehow, some way, they love to tell you how important they are. Years ago when I played sports, I realized that telling people how good I was was a waste of time. When you play a sport at a college level, they know how good you are because you go out and you play. The coaches always knew how good you were because they had film and they could watch it over and over again and they actually knew everything you did. In fact, they probably saw it two or three times. I didn't need to go to a coach and say I had a good game or sorry I had a bad game. They already knew it. Boasters waste their time telling other people how good they are. First of all, if you really understand mercy and grace and you understand that you're created by God and that he created you in your mother's womb, you understand that all the talent and all the ability that you have was given to you by him and can be taken away at any moment. You understand that your job is to use that ability and that talent to point to God. We don't point to ourselves. The basic problem with the false teachers in the world today is how they keep pointing to themselves. They can't wait for you to be quiet so they can tell you what they think. 
They point to themselves and their thought process and everything about them so that you can know all about them. And they do show favoritism to people, but they show favoritism to people to gain advantage. See, the Bible makes it clear that if you and I show favoritism, we sin. If, if somebody comes into our congregation and they're poor and they sit, sit in the front and we move them to the back because they can't offer us anything, and then somebody comes in that's wealthy and influential and we put them in a prominent place, that's wrong. I've often thought about that when Christian ministries develop boards. Some of them take people who have a lot of money and will give to their organization and put them on a board so that they will continue to give. I think that's wrong. We put people in positions because God puts it in our heart to put them there. They need to love God and walk with God. Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To show others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This section talks about the importance of you and I living our lives the way that we should. See, those who live for themselves, they're going to cause division. They can't help but cause division. They're devoid of the Spirit, and, and they're going to cause division because they're about themselves. Those who love God and walk with God, they're amazed by His mercy. They're living amazed by God's grace. They have the peace of God in their life. They're living in a way that demonstrates God's love. They don't cause division with God. They don't cause division with godly people. The ones that cause division among the godly people are the ones who don't know God because you can't be both about God and about yourself. You can't do that. You can't be focused on yourself using other people rather than loving them. You can't be focused on justifying your life and your actions and boasting. You can't be focused on those things and be about God's business. So you're going to separate yourself from those who are about God's business. The last two verses of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God is the only one that can keep us from stumbling. Once again, I go back to the very simple. I need to know God. And when I know God, when I 
see what he says in his word. I need to listen to God. I need to know him, and I need to listen to him. Those are the two things in life that are critical for me. If I do that, I'm not going to be boasting. I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm not going to be proud. I'm going to be one who relishes the mercy that he offers me. I'm going to enjoy the grace that he gives to me. And the mercy and the grace will lead to this tremendous peace that's in my heart. And the peace that I have will pass understanding. And that peace will guide me to love people the way that I should. His Spirit will also enable me to see who is trying to be divisive and stay away from them. I don't want those influencers to influence me. I want God and His Word to influence me and the people who walk with Him. Well, I'm Dave Wager. I'm here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. I do invite you to check those ministries out and pray for us as we continue to endeavor to raise a new generation that knows Christ and make Him known. Good night for now. Thank you.